Well, good morning, and it's good to see you today. I really miss being with you guys last week, but I heard AJ did a good job, and I'm glad that you could meet him or get to know him a little bit better, and uh, that's really why we wanted him to be here. So, uh, hey, glad you're here today. Even when the rain comes, right? I don't know what it is about us followers of Christ that the rain scares us away, but uh, glad you could be here, and uh, we move on in our study. By the way, we're on part three of our study in the book of Colossians. If this is your first time here, no problem. You can jump right in. In fact, this is a good day to get on board. Or maybe if you've been here for a while, uh, well, you just do, we're just continuing through the book, right? We're going to move into chapter two today and see some things that Paul talks about. Now, you remember that Colossians is, is about many, many things. There's so many things in this book, so many themes uh, in the book. There is obviously the sufficiency and efficiency of Christ in our lives. And, and then there's the preeminence of Christ that is pre- pressed forward by, by the apostle. But we decided to drill down on one particular theme, and that is the theme of a new life in Christ. Imagine if you could have a new heart, a new start, a brand new life. <clears throat> now, if you're very old, at some point, you've probably wished there was something you could redo, right? You wish you could rewind and redo, uh, reset, or, or something, because all of us have those decisions that we make that we think, oh, I wish I'd have done that a little bit differently. But the truth of the matter is, in Christ, we do have new life, which means change. Now, we've been talking about change. Change is a hard thing to talk about because sometimes things change to our advantage and we like those things. Sometimes not so much to our advantage and not so much do we like those things. I was sitting at my granddaughter's softball game this week. My oldest granddaughter plays softball for Keystone uh, Junior High team. And uh, so I'm watching the game and something interesting happens. I know a little bit about, I don't know all the details, but after a girl got a hit on our team got a hit, they immediately went and checked her bat. So you know what's up, right? They're thinking the bat is illegal. And so they check the bat. <clears throat> They're looking at it, studying it, looking at it. They finally decide <clears throat> that the bat is illegal, so the bat is ejected from the game. But more importantly, our second baseman is ejected from the game. But that's not really the point of the story. The point of the story is this. I'm sitting there in the stands, and some, a couple of people beside me say, you know what the bad part of that is? And I'm thinking, well, our second baseman got ejected. I said, the bad part is that bat is a $400 bat. I quickly revealed my age because I looked at her and said, you're kidding. That's more than I paid for my first car, (laughs) right? I mean, $400 for a bat? Really? I mean, you know, that's how things have changed, I guess, and for the good. And I mean, maybe not for the good if you're paying more for a bat than I did for my first car. But then on the flip side of that, Brother Hardy, yesterday I was out splitting wood, right? And so I was splitting wood. I'm, I'm looking at him for a reason. I'm splitting wood, and I'm thinking to myself, thank God for the chain, the change. Why? Because rather than splitting wood with an axe, I got a gas-powered splitter that's busting those big things. All I got to do is put it up there in the way, right? So some change is good. Some change, not so good. You know, that's how it is in churches, right? Churches change. And sometimes those changes are for the good. We like them. Sometimes the changes for the bad. We don't like them. But Churches change. Somebody says to me quite often, hey, you know what? Our church has changed. I'm saying, well, of course. We're 12 years old. Everything changes. Can I say to you, the only church that doesn't change is a dead church. Just saying. Now, some churches we like, some changes we like, some we don't like. 
It didn't take me long to figure out when people came into the orchard, they saw things that they really liked and said, man, I love this about the orchard. And then, given time, they're going to find something they don't like about the orchard. Why? <clears throat> because we're people. And so we're not ever perfect. By the way, churches only change. I want to talk to you. Think about this. Churches only change as people change. Because we are the church, right? We are the church, not the building. This building is not the church. This building is a metal building. No, we are the church. And churches change as people change. Some of those are for the good. Some of them not so good. Some of those we like. Some of those we don't like. Well, Paul is talking to a group of people about change. But frankly, he's not talking about change cosmetically. He's not talking about cosmetic changes. He's not even talking about organizationally. He's not talking about changes that need to be made in the church and people organizationally. Um, he, he's not talking even, <clears throat> um, even philosophically or methodologically. He's talking about an inner change of heart. And his idea is <clears throat> that when we change inwardly, it affects us outwardly. So here's the question we've been exploring. Can we really change? And can we have, watch this, not just a trend where we change, can we have lasting change? <clears throat> can what God is doing and seems to be doing in my heart and life really bring lasting change to me? Well, Paul's resounding answer in this letter to the church at Colossae is yes. In fact, our lives not only can change, they must change if we genuinely have new life in Christ. The problem is sometimes we fill our lives with substitutes rather than substance. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. <clears throat> substitutes rather than Substance, because substitutes <clears throat> will never bring lasting change. Only substance brings lasting change. So let's just down and dive into the book. We're in chapter 2. May open your Bible, or maybe it's on your Bible app, or maybe your tablet, or maybe you can follow along on the screen here. Or if you're carrying a different version than I am, <clears throat> you might want to follow along. And we're going to begin reading in chapter 2, verse 6. Now, it's interesting to me that as we pick up this text, one of the first things you notice is he starts this section, this paragraph where we're going to drill down on this morning, with a summary of where we've already been. And so that's going to be really cool. I can summarize where we've been by just reading a couple of verses to you. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 6 and 7, Paul writes, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Now, there he summarizes where we've been. Remember, we've talked about faith. We've talked about coming to faith in Christ. We've talked about this new life being not so much a disciplined change of the mind, but rather a, a, a spiritual change of the heart. Now, there's nothing wrong with the discipline of changing things outwardly, changing habits, etc. And, and discipline, we've said, is a big part of this. It's kind of a combination of tension between grace and, and discipline. But what he's saying here is, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. How did we receive 
Christ as Lord. Remember, he told us in chapter 1. First of all, we hear the gospel. That's where it all starts. You hear the gospel. In his letter to the Romans, Paul said it this way. He said, faith then comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So we begin by hearing the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news, simply put. But what good news do we have? We have the good news of hearing about. The good news is that Jesus was God and became man. And fully man, he came to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so he died on a cross. Why? So that he could be a sacrifice for me and that he could atone for me and he could reconcile me to God. And so he died, but he also was buried. And then three days later, God validated everything he had said and done by raising him from the dead. And now he lives in heaven, ever living to make intercession, to pray for me. And one day he's coming back and he's taking his church to heaven with him. Wow. I don't know about you, that is good news. Because when I see the news, I only see things going down, 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 down. But one thing I know, Jesus takes us up, 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 up. I can't get off on that. Suffice it to say that this is good news. So as you receive, not only do we receive, not only do we hear the gospel, but he said then we have faith. We believe the gospel, right? We receive the gospel. We receive Jesus as our Lord. Not only do we just see it and believe facts, but we trust him. We receive him and his gift of salvation into our hearts and into our lives. And then he says, even as we received him, continue to live in him. Now, what began as a gospel now must continue. And as we were born into this family, as we were grafted into this family, as we were part of now the body of Christ, he says, continue to live in him. And then he uses the metaphor of a tree. He said, in fact, as you grow, your roots ought to go deep. You ought to, you ought to grow. You ought, anybody seen a tree grow, right? It grows, it matures until finally it bears fruit. If a tree doesn't grow, what do you do? Chop it down. It's no value. And so he says, now you need to grow in him. Now the gospel is simple. Would you agree? We hear, we believe, and we receive. It's almost ABCs. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember in, uh, a long time ago in vacation Bible school, they came up with these ABCs of the gospel. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe Jesus Christ and commit your heart to him. It's simple. But how many know that simple does not always equate to easy? One thing that has not changed about our church, can I just say this to you, and I can say this with authority. One thing that has not changed about our church is our mission and our vision. Our mission is to continue to disciple the unconnected, the unbelieving, unconvinced, and unfinished. That's our mission. And our vision is to remain and to be a simple church that loves God and loves people. You say, well, how can you be a simple church? We have three different campuses and looking to expand to more. I'll tell you, simple has nothing to do with that. And by, by the way, simple does not always mean easy. There's nothing easy about what we do, I can tell you right now. Anybody played golf before? Golf is a simple thing, really. If you think about it, golf is simple. You just take one ball, you hit it into one hole, and then you move to the next. Simple, but not easy, right? Not easy, unless you watch these guys on TV. You watch these guys on TV, and they make it look easy. I remind my wife every time we watch a little bit of golf together that it is not as easy as they make it look, right? Simple is not always easy. And I say that because this, the gospel is simple. Hear, believe, 
receive. And then when he says to walk in it, that's simple. But it's not easy. In fact, there's some of you that are probably thinking this. Well, if, if all of this is so simple, if the gospel is so simple, why am I stuck? So let's move that to change. And, and let me just get you here for just a minute. What we need to understand is if, if change is possible, why am I still stuck? You ever felt that way? Just kind of stuck in your faith? Maybe you've hit a wall. <clears throat> Maybe you've hit a place where you're like, hey, I still believe, but I don't seem to be moving anywhere. Why am I stuck? Because sometimes we feel like we get stuck. I was in Panera Bread this week uh, doing some work, and as I was sitting there, I was sitting across the table from a young man who I'm with quite a bit in there, and, um, <clears throat> and he was sharing with me a little bit about his own story. And he just was saying, I'm kind of stuck. Ah, we get that way. Why am I still stuck? Well, I think Paul is going to answer one of the questions about why we sometimes get stuck <clears throat> and change, <clears throat> real change, lasting change, lasting change becomes very difficult. It may be because we are relying on substitutes rather than substance. Now, let me show you what I mean. Paul's going to address three substitutes to faith today. Three substitutes that you need to be aware of. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Don't think, please, don't think that this is all you have to be concerned about. <clears throat> Just three things that were bothering and slowing down the Colossian church. But I think, as I think about it, the same three things really plague us today. As a matter of fact, as I've thought about it, <clears throat> I have sometimes fallen prey to these same three substitutes in my own life. And so I know they're real. And so since they're real, and Paul addresses them for Colossae, why not let's talk about them this morning? <clears throat> three substitutes that we see as we walk down through verse 8, and we'll end up today at verse number 15, and then more we'll go on beyond that that Toby was talking with you about. <clears throat> so what are these substitutes? Well, the first substitute um, I'm going to call... Empty promises. The substitute of empty promises. Look at verse 8. He says, Be careful <clears throat> that no one takes you captive. Now, why did he say that? No one takes you captive. Remember that Paul is writing the letter. And, and I know this is a lot of review, but I don't want you to forget these things. And sometimes repetition is good. <clears throat> Paul is writing the letter because a friend, a mutual friend, Epaphras has traveled to Rome during Paul's first imprisonment. Paul can't go to Colossae, so he writes to the Colossians. And when Epaphras gets there, he says, Paul, there's some things we need to address. And one of those issues is there is a group of philosophers, religion. There is this religion that is springing up, that is plaguing, that is bothering this church, that is holding this church captive. And we know that to be a sect known as Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism, that is, they were Gnostics from the Greek word gnosko, which means knowledge. And these Gnostics were all about this special elitist knowledge that they had. And so he says, be careful that no one, include, implying these Gnostics, but it goes beyond that, that no one takes you captive through what? Philosophy and empty deceit that is what? Based on human tradition that is based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. So Paul says, you got to be careful <clears throat> because there are philosophies and religions, there are ideas who will promise you all kind of stuff. 
But all they're going to do is take you captive. And you're going to be stuck. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, he talks about philosophies. He talks about this <clears throat> empty deceit. Now, remember the Gnostics were saying this, and I want to I dwell on this because I think, I think we still battle this today. <clears throat> the Gnostics were all about having this experience, this mysterious experience where they gained this mysterious knowledge. And until you had this revelation of this mysterious knowledge, you couldn't grow and be everything there was to be spiritually. Whoa, hold on just a minute. Remember we saw last week, I'm certain A.J. pointed it out to you, that Paul said, wait a minute, that Christ is for you and that he has revealed all truth to you and not tried to hide anything from you. Whoa, that's pretty important. Because now these Gnostics are saying, no, you have to have this special experience. <clears throat> Let me tell you just as clearly as I know how, friends, and I believe this is dead right, dead on right. The experience you need is to experience, watch this, the fullness of Christ. See what he says? He says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you've been filled by him who is the head of every ruler and authority. Paul is saying, oh, you don't need special experiences. You don't need special knowledge, special revelations of knowledge. What you need is the fullness of Christ because in him is the fullness of God. And he is sufficient and efficient for everything you need. You don't need extras. But I'm telling you, the extras are out there. And they'll make promises to you. <clears throat> and before long, you're chasing some of these extras as substitutes. It bothers me, for example, when I hear people talk about going deeper. I need to go deeper. What do you mean by that? How do you go deeper than the gospel, frankly? How do you go deeper than the fact that God becomes man and that God dies as a perfect sacrifice on a, on, on a cross to save me, to reconcile me to God. How do you go deeper than that? I'm not sure what can be deeper than God becoming man. You got to be careful. I'm convinced we need to be careful because sometimes these newer substitutes that we're running after become just substitutes and fillers. And at some time, watch this, they're going to come up empty. I know sometimes people are always looking for something new, and there's nothing wrong with anything new. Thursday night, I was <clears throat> invited to a Bible study with a bunch of senior adults. Now, I'm technically a senior adult. I'm just saying these folks had me by 20 years. But, um, but it was fun, and I enjoyed reading the Bible with them. And one of them stood up. I happened to know to be a very godly man and a Bible teacher for like 50 years, probably longer than I'm old. And, and he stood up, and he was talking about feeding of the 5,000. And he said this. He said, you know, I was reading this week. He'd, he'd had surgery, so he had a lot of time to read. He said, I was reading this week, week this, this account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 by the Sea of Galilee. He said, I saw something new. <laughs> wow. Why? Because the Bible is inexhaustible. You can never exhaust it. You can never exhaust it. You're going to always find something new. Nothing wrong with something new, but can I tell you, be careful, because sometimes newer things, the best things, are older things. Right? You're saying that because you're old. Well, maybe so. I don't know. But I know this is true. 
Newer things are sometimes new, but sometimes older things are also new. <clears throat> I was thinking about that, and I had an opportunity to share this experience with someone this week. And I don't think about it often, but I did think about it this week. And I thought about this older things thing. I, I remember when I had my surgery. It's now been almost six years ago, five years ago. Working on six years ago. For those of you who don't, who don't know, I had triple bypass surgery. And so the night before the surgery, you know, you're a little bit, uh, I'll admit, I was a little bit uh, wondering, you know, thought of somebody cracking my chest open and pulling my heart out, tinkering with it a little bit and putting it back. Uh, yeah, it gave me a little bit of pause. I wasn't scared to die, but I wanted to rest good. So the nurse came in and she said, hey, uh, would you like something to help you sleep tonight, the night before the surgery? I said, yeah. So I lay there, and the lights were low. All the company had gone. All my kids had gone. My grandkids had gone. My friends had gone. It's just me and Beth. I'll never forget this moment. If I've shared it with you, then just give me a you know, pat on the back and let me share it again. I was lying there in the bed, and I was thinking about the procedures of tomorrow and what it would mean for the next several weeks. And I looked at Beth, and I said, hey, would you? She said, can I do anything for you? I said, yeah, can you sing for me? Sing to me. Now, a lot of you don't know that Beth sings. She's always singing. She's always just ministered to my heart when she sings. Probably because she's my wife, but hey, it works. So I said, would you sing to me? And so she says, sure, I'll sing to you. So she gets up by the side of the bed, and she's thinking. Jordan, she couldn't come up with the words of the songs. She's like, you know, these contemporary songs are a lot harder to remember. She said, I can sing them, but I don't remember all the words. So, you know, it's tough. These guys will tell you it's tough learning these words. And she said, but I can remember some hymns. Anybody remember hymns? Okay. So I'm in the group with this semester senior adults Thursday night, and they're singing hymns out of the hymnal. You know, that's a book that you open up, and the words are here instead of up there. And I'm singing these hymns, and they offer me a book, and I'm like, no, no, it's okay. Why? Because I sang every one of them by heart. And as she began to sing, Amazing Grace, it is well with my soul, and how great thou art. I was flooded with peace. Now, I love our contemporary music, so don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not downing that. What I'm saying is sometimes old is as refreshing as new. And sometimes we need to think back. What Paul is saying, I think, is don't get caught up in this mysterious, mysterious thing of having to always have some kind of new knowledge, some kind of a new experience. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Get a hold of the experience that you have in Christ. Is there anything that can be more exciting or more, more revela uh, revelation, revelating? Or is there anything that can be more powerful than to think back daily? I'm telling you why I love these songs this morning. They remind us of the efficiency and sufficiency of Christ. And there's, I, listen, I don't need any more than Him. I really don't. So be careful that you don't substitute something, some new knowledge, some new experience. Because I'm going to tell you what. The new experience, listen to me carefully, if you're relying on a new experience all the time, the new experience becomes old at some time. Every new experience becomes old at some time. So I want to rest on old. So Paul began by saying, first of all, be thankful that you have heard the gospel and you have received the gospel, and now as you have heard and received, live. By that same gospel. I could stay longer here, but I want to go to the second one. 
I want to move to the, to the next verses. I want to call the second substitute this. I want to call it a legalistic checklist. Legalistic checklist. It begins in verse 9. I, I really wanted to say more about verse 8, but let me go to verse 9. Because he starts here to talk about a substitute that is something common to us, and that is a legalistic checklist. Now, what do I mean by legalistic? Let me stop to explain that just a minute. Church folks know, but you say, well, I've never heard that term before. Legalistic means, legalism means that we have this set of rules, this checklist, if you will, that have to be followed. And those rules have to be followed. Really deep down, the idea of this religious legalistic checklist is to help us with our salvation, or at least to help us earn favor with God. Okay? Now, there's some problems in all of that, and I want to talk about that just a minute. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, And you, I'm sorry, you were in the right place. You also were circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism, in which also you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, what in the world does that mean? All right, everybody knows about circumcision, right? <laughs> so they were still trying to make, some were still trying to make circumcision a part of the church membership requirements. Now, Franz, something tells me, Toby, if we put that in our next steps class, attendance is going down. Paul is saying, hang on. Surgery doesn't save you. Okay, he says you were also circumcised in him. Now, here's the thing. Circumcision was a very important thing to the Jewish people. Circumcision was a sign, a covenant sign, a sign that they were in, an outward sign that they were in covenant with a covenant God. God had given them this custom, this tradition, this, this sign of a covenant because he declared them to be his people. And when they entered into the promised land, they needed a law. They needed guidelines. They needed organization. They needed structure. Now, we know that to be true, don't we? Because you cannot live as a nation, as a community of people without certain guidelines. You just can't. You even do it in your family. You may not write them out. You may not declare them with a seal, but you have rules. This is the way we live as a family. My daughter has eight children. There has to be some rule in that house. Amen? Why? Because otherwise they're going to all be looking for me and mine, and they don't care about anybody else. So we say laws. And so God established these laws, and, and God said, We're, I'm going to enter into a covenant relationship with you, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And the outward sign of an inward commitment... It's going to be this circumcision. And so the men, the boys, were circumcised as a sign, as a mark of the covenant. And it was important because it declared, I'm in God's family. I'm one of his. Right? Very, very important. Now, Paul is saying, but hold on. When Jesus came, everything progressed. And when he came, he opened up, watch this, the gospel message to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? Well, you should be, because guess what you are? <laughs> Gentiles. Gentiles were basically anybody who wasn't Jews. So when Jesus came, he said, wait a minute. Yes, I love the Jews, but I also love the Gentiles. And I'm opening up this gospel for them. 
And he said, here's what you need. What you need as a part of your faith, your faith, what's, what's important is not this outward surgical procedure, but a circumcision of the heart, a setting apart of the heart. And then he, buried, he connected it with our baptism. And that's so important because baptism, what is it? It's an outward sign. And all of us who come into the family of God are baptized as this outward sign of an inward commitment in our heart. Now, we believe, I believe, and I don't know what you believe, but I believe and convinced that baptism does not save us. We're not saved by water. Listen, we just fill that baptistry with ordinary water, right? But what saves us is what that represents. And that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. But we do it. That doesn't lessen the importance of it because guess what? We do it as an outward symbol of the inward commitment and the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And so Paul says you need to understand that. Also, you were raised... Through him. Well, look at verse 13. He says, <clears throat> I love this. I'm trying to find it in my Bible. Oh, here it is. And when you were dead in trespasses and in uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Wow. When you were dead in trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. In other words, you did nothing to earn your salvation. You did nothing. You were dead. Has anybody ever seen a dead man do anything? Thankfully, I haven't. I've done a lot of funerals. I'm telling you, if anybody ever pops up out of that casket, I'm done. I'm done. I had never seen that. Why? Because dead men can't do things. And he says, you're dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sins. Well, then how can we be saved, Pastor Eddie? Through the grace of God. Remember chapter 1, he talked about grace. He said, it's by grace that you're saved through faith. And then he says, not only are you saved by grace, you've got to walk by grace. The same way you heard, you live. That's what he's saying. And then he says, watch this. He says, he erased the certificate of debt. Man, this is so good, y'all. I think the devil made it rain today just to keep people away from hearing this. I don't know if he can do that or not. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. There was a debt, a certificate of debt against us Placed it to our chest, if you will, and guess what? It was working against us and opposed to us and would say the result is he dies, she dies. There's a death warrant. And he said he erased the certificate of debt. Hello? Does the news get any better than that? Can you go any deeper than that? What do you want that's a greater experience than that? And then he says, watch this. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, if you go on and read the rest of the chapter, you're going to see that part of this certificate of debt is the law. They've been trying to keep this law for all these years. And he says, what you need to understand is, 
You were never able, you were never able to save yourself by keeping the law. But Jesus took it with its debt and nailed it to the cross. And then what he's about to do is free them from the law. Well, hallelujah, praise God. What does that mean? Well, you're going to have to look it up. I don't have time to tell you all that today. But I can tell you this. There are many today who are still trying to please God by keeping the law. And there are some, by the way, who are condemning those of us who aren't. Now, I've got to tell you, I've told you before, I'm a recovering legalist. I know what I'm talking about. You see, I know you're saying, well, Pastor Eddie, that's just you and that's just the order. No, 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 no. I'm a recovering legalist. I still battle with this every now and then. Every now and then I'll battle with something. I mean, you just got to do this if you're going to be pleasing to God. And you just can't do this if you're going to be pleasing to God. I got to be careful because I'm not the one to judge those things. Where it is clearly stated, yes. Where it's not so clearly stated, hmm. But here's my point, really more than a lot of that. My point is sometimes we take our legalistic checklist and we substitute it for God. Are y'all with me? You look like you're not sure. Now watch this. I'm going to give you an example. And some of you aren't going to like my example. For example, sometimes our legalistic checklist and things, includes things like reading the Bible every morning, right? Now, is that a good habit? Absolutely. Do I do that every day? Absolutely. I rarely, if ever, I don't remember the last time I've missed. I do it. It's a discipline in my life. I do it whether I, whether I want to or not, whether I feel like it or not. It's a discipline in my life. But let me tell you something. If I substitute even that habit for my relationship with God, it becomes a substitute. And even that may become dry, non-refreshing. I know you said, I can't believe he just said that. I'm just telling you. What I do is I read my Bible in order that I might grow in my relationship with God. And the end is not to check off my list. The end is to increase and to grow my relationship with Jesus. He is everything I need. Now, I hope you heard every, all, every bit of that. Don't you go out of here and say, Brother, I said it's not all right to read your Bible. I didn't say that at all. I just said we can use that as a substitute. Coming to church is a good thing, right? I know you believe that or you wouldn't be here this morning. Coming to church is a good thing. But if you substitute coming to church for being church, if we substitute coming to church and then say, oh, you know what, I can just live like I want to the rest of the week and then I'll come to church again next week and it'll all be okay. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you're, well, maybe this crowd doesn't know. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir, as they say. But I'm afraid sometimes we substitute coming to church for growing in our relationship with God. Now, you know why I'm really hesitant to use that example? Because so many people then will say, well, that's why I'm not coming to church. Not necessary. But why is it then that they leave off the fact that they're not growing more spiritually? <laughs> they're just not going to church. Okay, I know I'm on thin ice here, but... Paul's the one that's saying all this, not me. Well, there's one final thing, one final substitute. I'm out of time, but i got to touch on this one because I'm telling you this one is critical. First of all, empty promises. Secondly, legalistic checklist, but watch this. 
The third powerless faith. Look at verse 15. He says, He, that is Jesus, disarmed when he went to the cross. Watch this. This is so good. Listen, y'all, this is worth getting down the rain for. He said, He, that is Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. What does that mean? I don't have time. I wish I could unpack that because there's so much drama and pageantry there. Because I'm no doubt Paul is thinking about Roman armies and, and how they would put on display the enemy when they conquered them and, and how they would do all that. I'd love to talk about all this, but here's what it boils down to since I'm out of time almost. And that is this. He says, devil's a defeated foe. He has no power over you. He's no, he has no power over you. Quit blaming everything on him. Quit saying the devil made me do it, right? They, no, we aren't, that is not an excuse for us, folks. We can't say, well, you don't know the devil. He, he just whipped me on that one. No, no, no. He doesn't have that power. Jesus said, you're a defeated foe. And yet we listen to him and we believe him. And at times we even succumb to him. Can I tell you all one more story? I thought maybe your pastor was going to jail this week. Either me or my daughter won. Remember that ball game I was telling you about? At that same ball, ball game, my Brody, y'all know Brody, he's 10 now. He's the one that had cancer in his eye, battled through cancer like a hero and lived through it. I had just taken him Tuesday to get a new prosthetic for his eye that he lost. He was so proud because it looked so great. It was a new prosthetic, and it looked even better than before, and he was so proud. He's such a trooper. So at that ball game, <clears throat> Brody does what he always does, doesn't watch the ball game. He's going to play ball. And there's a play yard, back, a basketball court right behind the game, and so he's out there with a bunch of other boys playing basketball. When suddenly his sister comes running up to get my daughter and says, you've got to come. Brody's about to get into a fight. So she takes off. I realize what's happening and think, you better take off in case you need to help her. I don't know what he's fighting. And I come up on the way and I see Brody crying and squalling. And his daughter, his, my daughter, his mother, directing him to the stands. And I follow her. There's an eighth grader who would make three of Brody. And come to find out, he was bullying Brody and poking fun at him about his eye. Broke Brody, Brody's heart and spirit. So at this point, I'm going to wrestle my daughter before she goes to jail. Because mama kicks in. You know what I'm saying? Mama mode. So I come when things settle down, and I get to Brody, and he's standing at the back of a set of bleachers with his head down, crying. And I walk up to Brody, and I put my arm around him, and I said, Brody, that guy's a bully. I wanted to say some other things, but I knew I couldn't think them. I wanted to say he's a piece of scum, dirt. But no, 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 I didn't really think that. Yeah, I did. Forgive me. But here's what I did say to Brody. I said, Brody, don't you believe anything he says? I don't know what he said to you exactly, but I got an idea what he said to you about you being less of a person because you have one eye. I know what he said to you about how you were ugly. I know what he said to you about how you can't see like other people and you're not like other people. And I said, Brody, don't believe a word he says. 
You are special to God. God saved your life when you were two years old. And he has you for a reason and a purpose. And yeah, there are going to be bullies that are going to come and try to get you distracted and sidetracked, but don't you believe them. You believe what God says about you and that you are a child of God and blessed above all measure. That's what you believe. He looked at me and he shook his head. I'm just saying to you, Satan is nothing more than a bully. He's an eighth grade bully. And he'll try to slap you around. And he'll tell you all manners of junk about who you are and who you aren't. And what you can do and what you can't do. And he'll try to bring you down and tell you how ugly you are and that you're nothing, you're not important to God, you're not important to anybody, you're just a piece of nothing. He'll tell you all kind of stuff. He'll tell you you can't do the job that you want to do and that you're called to do. <clears throat> He'll tell you you can't change. He'll tell you, you that everything that pastor's saying is a bunch of junk. He'll tell you all kind of things. He'll tell you all measure of stuff. I'm here to say this morning, don't believe a word that he says. Jesus nailed, watch this, nailed to the cross the debt against us, and he did that because he loves you and he's for you. And not only is he for you, but he's in you. And not only is he in you, but he's with you. Don't believe what the enemy says. Sometimes our faith is so weak, we substitute strong, victorious faith for weak, limp. So here's the takeaway, and I'm done, and I'm already past my time, y'all. I'm sorry, but I had a lot to say. I wasn't here last week. Give me that takeaway up there real quick, guys. Takeaway I think is so important, and that is real change can't come from worthless substitutes. If you're stuck, maybe there's some worthless substitutes in your life. Check it out. One thing I know is... do. To keep substitutes out of our life. To combat this. Here it is. Simple strategy. And I'm done. Simple strategy. Stay in the word of God. And focus your all on Jesus. Stay in the word. Let this book show you the truth. He has come. What did we saw last week? We saw last week. To reveal the mystery. The truth to us. It's here. He wants to show you. And secondly, focus on Jesus. I'm telling you, I've never run into a person who felt like Jesus let them down. I've run into people, plenty of people, who thought that religion let them down, the church let them down, that a preacher let them down, a friend let them down. And you know what? Because we all will. But I'm telling you, when you focus on Jesus, you have all the depth you need. You have new experiences in your walk every day. He obliterates the law and says, focus on me and walk by grace. Bring discipline into your life. And battle the enemy with just one word. In Jesus' name. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for the truth we've talked about this morning. I thank you for reminding me today, this week, God, <clears throat> that this old enemy that fights us and battles with us all the time is a defeated foe. That you've already conquered him, triumphed over him at the cross.
There's no battle still going on. The battle's done. It's over. Thank you for reminding me this week, God, about substitutes. And thank you for reminding me this week that we don't have to listen to the accusations and the guilt trips of the enemy. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know what substitutes. I hope this morning has maybe sparked in your mind if there's anything that is substituting. If there's anything masking a lack of substance in your life. Is there something that is in your life that you use, maybe for others or maybe even for you, to fool you or others into thinking that you are more spiritual than you really are? And just relying on this substitute to pose as a Christian, there's not going to be life change. Because substitutes can never bring that change. But what will bring change is an authentic, personal, and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Pushes all substitutes to the side and says, He's all I need. He's everything I need. And I am a son, a daughter of God. And I'm going to believe what he says and not what the enemy says. I'm going to believe what he says and not what the world says. I'm going to believe what he says and not what everybody else says. I'm going to believe what he says and not what the bully says. And I'm going to trust him. I hope that's your prayer this morning. And I hope that's your desire this morning. So I want to just pray for you if I could. And then we're going to sing a song and kind of bring this to a close. Father, could I just pray for these folks this morning, my friends, my family, even some people I've met for the first time today. And God, I pray that your grace and your peace would hover over. And that God, you'd chase away substitutes, reveal to us where substitutes come in our life. Help us to walk by grace and by faith. To walk with discipline and yet not trying to be something we can't. Simply wanting to grow. That our roots go deep and fruit becomes abundant. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness flowing from our hearts and lives. God, thank you. Forgive us, Lord, where we get in the flesh. I confess, I confess before you and before these people, God, that I got in the flesh this week. Boy, I wanted to say some things and do some things, but thank you, God, that the grace of God would not allow me to do something stupid. It's all by your grace. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.